Welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church. So glad that you're with us as we continue our series entitled Forgotten God based on a book by Francis Chan. And over the last few weeks, we've been learning about what it means to be filled, to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Although we haven't looked deeply into his book by Francis Chan entitled Forgotten God, there's a fantastic illustration that Francis gives related to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And he likened that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to an athlete, that if an athletic God would come inside an athlete, we would expect that athlete to perform better in a game, meaning if it was a hockey god and that god came into a hockey player, that person could probably skate a little faster, shoot a little harder, maybe have a greater hockey intelligence for the game. That we would expect that if the hockey god indwelled a hockey player, that player would be a better player. And he asked this question, why wouldn't that be the same of us? Because God, the Holy Spirit, indwells every believer in Christ, and why not wouldn't we expect our lives to be full of love and joy and peace and patience and gratitude and worship to God because we are full of the Holy Spirit? That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks, centered in a passage of Scripture in Ephesians 5. And the question that we are asking and seeking to answer is what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? What does it look like to be a spirit-filled person, and how can I be full of the Spirit today? This morning, Tujer Tao, our former church planting resident and current church planter with the Covenant Church, is here to describe what it looks like to live a spirit-filled life. And for the last few weeks, we've been uh, reading and rereading Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. We're going to read it again a little bit later on. But over the last few weeks, we've been learned that a life full of the Spirit is a life full of the Word. That the Spirit is our counselor. That He takes the Word of God and He speaks it into our lives. That a Spirit-filled life is a life full of the Word. A, a life full of the Spirit is also a life full of worship. That's what we talked about last week, that, that, that a life full of the Spirit is a life full of song and worship. And then uh, this morning, we're going to learn that a life full of the Spirit is a life of gratitude. And as a church, we are very excited to come along Tujer and his wife, Maiku, as our denomination partners with them to plant a church. And so as, as I am so thankful for us and for your generosity so that we can give financially but also support Tujer and Maiku in this new church plant. So as a way of showing our support to Tujer, let's just give uh, Tujer a warm welcome as he comes up onto the stage. So before we uh, ask Tucher to share the message, you can have a seat. Uh, I was just going to uh, reintroduce him to you and then talk a little bit about this exciting new church plant. So uh, Tucher, some folks are new here this morning, so could you just remind us a little bit about where you're from and maybe how you came to faith in Christ? Yeah, sure. So um, my name is Tucher, originally from the great city of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Um, born and raised there, went to school there, uh, how I came to faith was at a young age, early teenage years, um, I started asking big questions, like, what is the meaning of life? What's this life for? I know, 12, right? It's weird. Good Um, questions. Big thinker. But I I realized that there must be something more, but I wasn't sure what it was. And uh, 
it was my two older brothers, my role models that I looked up to. I started seeing changes in their lives, and I realized it was because they had made a decision to follow Jesus. And so I saw what they had, and I wanted what it was. And so um, fast forward to one Sunday, my pastor, who is now my father-in-law, uh, shared, with, uh, me the, shared with us, the youth, the, the gospel that there is new life in Jesus, that there is forgiveness in Jesus, and that there is a decision to be made to follow Jesus or not to follow Jesus. And, and it was that day that I made a decision to follow Christ. And by God's grace, I've been following and stumbling along the way, but God's mercies are new every morning. So, Amen. And that was 12 years ago, and then you finished school at Eau Claire and then went on to Divinity School at Duke and, and then did a, a residency here with us for the last six months. And now you're about to start a new church. So yes. So what does that mean? You know, what does that look like to, to start a new church? Yeah, so, uh, you know, it can look many different ways, but what we're going to be doing is for the next couple of months, we're going to be uh, gathering a group of people, you know, folks who have church experience, folks who don't have any church experience, and we're going to uh, cast vision, we're going to pray together, we're going to eat meals together, and we're going to develop leadership, a leadership well, we're going to develop leadership uh, teams of key ministries, so like hospitality, welcoming, um, worship, for the next couple of months, uh, with the hope that, with, with the hope that next spring we will be uh, doing public worship. Okay. So, and where where do you hope to be having these public worship experiences? Yeah. So next spring it'll be in the Midway neighborhood in St. Paul. All right. Great. So I know that some folks here actually helped start this church about 25 years ago, and we celebrate that. Every church had to be started by somebody, and so you're going to be starting this church along with your wife and a core group of people. Can you describe maybe some of the people that you're hoping to reach or, or minister to or be part of this church? Yeah, so <clears throat> the people that we're hoping to reach are uh, people who feel like misfits, Okay, and, and, and what I mean by that is people who feel like they don't fit into the cultural categories um, that, that our society has developed. Um, one, and they, I'll, I'll use myself as an example. Um, I'm, so I'm Hmong American, right? Uh, sometimes when I'm in the Hmong context, uh, I've been told before <clears throat> that I'm not Hmong enough. Okay? Yeah, interesting, right? Um, and, and so, but interesting is sometimes when I'm in the American context, I've heard before, I've heard people tell me before, and this is sad, but it's true. I've heard some people tell me before, you should go back to where you came from. Eau Claire, Wisconsin, by the way. Um, <clears throat> so, so, you know, I, I realize these, these cultural categories, sometimes I, I'm not welcome in them sometimes. And so I real, I, I, I've come to realize that I'm a misfit in some ways. And uh, it, that can be a depressing thing if you just dwell on that, but the beautiful thing is I realize that God loves misfits. God loves to bring them together and say, hey, you know what? The world says they don't want you, or you don't fit in, you don't belong, but you do in my family. You become a son, a daughter in the family of God through Jesus Christ. And so instead of being all these people who are you know, misfits and, and not belonging, you guys actually become part of a new family, a new people rooted in Jesus. So... Amen. And uh, I remember you telling me one story about a, a gal named Rena. Is that right? Can you tell us a little bit more about her? Right. So I got together with Rena through a friend, and uh, she, she has church experience, but she hadn't been connected to a church for a while. And just getting to know her and, and hearing her story, and she shared with me, uh, you know, she said, she said this. She said, I feel like there's something missing in my life, and I don't really know what it is. 
And so I shared, I shared with her uh, the vision for this church, and, and pretty much I was saying, well, the thing that you're missing is Jesus and Jesus' people, you know? Uh, and so I invited her to this, and she said, you know what? Let me know when you guys are starting, because I want to come check it out. Yeah, so. Well, that's fantastic. You mentioned your vision for the church, and can you describe a little bit about what you're hoping this church will become? Right. So the vision, it, it's, we've been praying a lot about it, uh, look, looking through the scriptures. We really want to be scripturally based. Uh, we believe the Holy Spirit inspired the scriptures and is speaking to us. And so the vision that we've been praying through and believe that God has given to us is that as a church, as a new church, we want to be a new, uh, one new people rooted in Jesus Christ who passionately love God and purposefully seek the peace of the city. Now, if you know your scriptures, I mean, every single statement is purposeful, intentional, and, and uh, from the scriptures. So to be one new people, that's Ephesians chapter 2, talking about how Gentiles and Jews become one new people in Jesus Christ. Uh, rooted in Christ is Colossians chapter 2, talking about when we trust in Christ, our identities become rooted in Him, and therefore we are not known uh, simply by our race or ethnicity or socioeconomic status, but we're actually known primarily by the fact that we trust and love Jesus, uh, who uh, passionately loving God, right? Jesus teaches that in all the Gospels, Luke chapter 10, uh, that is the greatest commandment, to love God and to love neighbor. And lastly, to seek the peace of the city. That's Jeremiah chapter 29, um, what God uh, invites us to do. Well, if, uh, we're really excited about um, what you and your wife are endeavoring into. And uh, if you're interested in learning more about this new uh, church, uh, right outside these doors to the left, we're going to have a little reception for Tucher. You can, you know, give him a handshake, you know, say I'm really rooting for you, or maybe even move people in his direction that may be living in the St. Paul area. But my final question for you, Tucher, is why? You know, you kind of gave us a little bit of the when, where, what, but mm -hmm. the most important question is why. Why? would you want to start a new church? Yeah, I think there are two primary reasons. Um, well, three. Uh, Jesus says to make, make disciples, right? Uh, Matthew chapter 28. And uh, just recognizing that here in the Twin Cities, uh, it's becoming more and more multi-ethnic. Uh, that's, that's just the sociological realities. And um, we want to reach the people that are near us. And in St. Paul, it's folks who are white, black, Asian, Hispanic. It, it's, it's a multi-ethnic city. And secondly, uh, the reason why is because of Scripture. In Revelation chapter 7, it talks about how when we are in heaven, when we are in the kingdom of God, worshiping Jesus, it's going to be folks from all nations, folks of all languages. And if that's what eternity is going to be like, that's what heaven's going to be like, then uh, we believe the vision that God has for us is to try to live into that reality now. Phenomenal. And, and once again, as Maple Grove Covenant Church, we're coming alongside Tudor in this new church, and not only financially, but prayerfully and relationally. And, and we're so excited to have, you, to have you here the last six months, but we're looking forward to the next six months and six years to see what God's going to do uh, through uh, Roots, uh, the new Covenant Church that's going to be starting soon. So uh, Tudor now is going to share with us, I've asked him to come and share with us, uh, a word from the scriptures. And, and we've been studying Ephesians 5, 18 through 21. So uh, the last few weeks we've been standing and reading uh, the scriptures. It's also found in your program. It'll be on the screen. So why don't we stand up, honor God's word by reading the scriptures together, and then Tudor will come and, and give us a message. Let's start. Do not get drunk, drunk on wine, wine, which leads to, to debauchery. debauchery. Instead, Instead, be filled, filled with, with the Spirit. Spirit. 
Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Please have a seat. I just want to say that um, my crew and I are really happy to be back. It's been a couple of months now, and it's good to see your faces. And truly, I'm thankful to be talking about thankfulness because I am extremely grateful, extremely grateful for what God is doing uh, in, in our midst for God to bring partners like Maple Grove into the new ministry that God has called us to. And truly, without um, you know, the support and love of Maple Grove Covenant Church and the like, uh, we wouldn't be able to do this. So truly, Michael and I want to thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We'll dig into the um, message now. <clears throat> so these last few weeks, uh, y'all as a church, have been exploring what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, Chad was talking about it. Uh, a spirit-filled life is a life of submission. A spirit-filled life is a life of worship. A spirit-filled life is a life of singing. And today we're going to see that a spirit-filled life is also a life of gratitude, a life that is thankful, a life that appreciates all that we have. <clears throat> and the one verse that we're going to really dig deep into is Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20, okay? Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20, which says essentially, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? Very short, always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, on, on the one hand, this is a pretty easy thing to do because if I were to ask you to list off a few things for which you are thankful for, I think you would be able to do that pretty simply. I know I could. Um, you know, what am I thankful for? I am thankful for my wife. I'm so thankful for her. This past Friday was our fourth wedding anniversary. We've been married four whole years. So if you need any advice to last the four years, let me know. I'll help you out. Um, she, she is my best friend. She is uh, my confidant. She is my roommate. And um, I love her so much. I'm so thankful for my family, okay? All 12 of them. I have a big family. I'm not kidding. I have 12, 12 members in my family. Actually, to be honest, I'm most of the time very thankful for them. <laughs> Just being honest. You know, I, I love them. I, and I'm, I'm really thankful for them. I'm thankful for my friends. I'm thankful for my mentors. I'm thankful for the calling of being, be, being called a pa uh, being led to be a pastor. I'm thankful for Apple computers. I'm thankful for sushi. I'm thankful for, the, for mangoes, my favorite fruit. Right? So I can go on and on. I can go on and on. There's so many things to be grateful for, and I'm sure you could as well. And I hope you guys take some time to really think, like, what is there to be thankful in, in my life? And, and I think you'd be able to find many things. But this is the thing. If we were to actually, like, really stop and reflect and dig deeper, we'd recognize that there are things to be thankful for that we don't even think about. This really hit home the other day because um, my wife and I, we like to drink purified water, okay? Reverse osmosis purified water. It's so good, okay? 
we, we bought a blue five-gallon water jug. And we go to the grocery store and fill it up with purified water. And this one day, it was a humid day. It was a sticky day. We went there, and it was just a long line at the um, cash register. And it just took, it took longer than I anticipated and I wanted. And, and also, I was really struggling that day to open up doors. Like with my keys, you know, you know days like that? Right? I just couldn't open it. And I had this five-gallon water jug with me. So I, like, struggling, struggling. Finally, I make it into the apartment. And I put that water jug on the dinner table. And I look at my coup and I say, my coup. We worked so hard just to get water. Before I finished that statement, you know what image popped into my head? I, I thought about a young woman in Africa who has to walk miles upon miles carrying a clay pot on her head to get to the closest water source and walking miles back, taking hours. And I thought to myself, Tujer, that was so foolish of you. That was so foolish of you. I mean, when was the last time that you or I turned on our faucet and thanked God for it? Because this is one example of so many things in our life that we take for granted, but in reality are true gifts from God. So if we really think about it, there are so many things to be grateful for, right? There are so many things in our life to be grateful for, so many blessings. And if we take the time to stop and think, we will grow in our gratitude toward God. And also, we will grow in our joy in Him because we realize that He is such a great giver. And I think all of us, we need to actively remember God's grace in our lives because when we do, our gratitude will grow. But the passage that we're digging into um, is radical because it invites us and it challenges us to thank God in what? In everything. That means we thank God when it's good. That means we thank God when it's mundane, normal, routine. And it also means that we thank God in the midst of pain and suffering. And that's hard. That's really hard. And I know that there are a number of us here who are in the midst of pain and suffering. And for us to talk about gratitude, it, it sometimes feels like it doesn't make sense. You know, some of us are struggling with pain and suffering with our bodies. Like, we really feel it. And some of us are struggling with pain and suffering in our relationships. In a myriad of other ways, we are in pain and suffering. And so to talk about gratitude seems like it doesn't make sense. But I want to argue, and I, want, I believe the scriptures are helpful to, rem, to teach us and instruct us that the reality is this, that gratitude, gratitude will actually pull us through in the midst of pain and suffering. Gratitude will pull us through. And what I want to do with you is show you how that is the case by digging into our one whole verse for today, okay? So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20. Paul is the one who is writing this letter, okay? He's writing this letter to the Ephesian church almost 2,000 years ago. And Paul is writing to this Christian community in Ephesus, okay? And he writes, always give thanks. We have to remember who he is writing to. The Ephesians were probably a pretty poor, most of the people in this church were probably pretty poor, very poor actually, because in the, during the time of the Roman Empire, there was a small class of very wealthy, very powerful, very influential. And then the vast majority were very poor and they were taxed. 
And most were living day to day, wondering if they would have much to eat. And so the vast, the vast majority of the people in this church were probably very poor. Secondly, they had no political power. If the, if the government was doing things that they didn't like, they couldn't just vote them out. You know what I'm saying? They couldn't just vote them out. They would simply have to endure. And eventually, eventually, occasionally, there would be persecution. And, and that, is, that is the third thing, is that this church was opposed and persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. Because we have to remember that during this time, Christianity wasn't a world religion. Okay? There weren't tons and tons of Christians. In the first century, when Jesus resurrected and people started trusting and believing in Jesus... It was a very small group, and people thought that it was like a sect, a cult. People thought that it was a secretive group that was doing odd things. And so, people, so Christians in the first century and also in the following centuries would get persecuted. And so Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, which it was likely to be poor, politically powerless, and persecuted. And he says to them this, always give thanks. Always give thanks. And also he is writing to us to say, no matter what your circumstances are, we are to always give thanks. But the thanksgiving that Paul instructs us to give isn't this random thanksgiving. It's not simply, hey, you should be grateful. Paul says this, always give thanks to God the Father. Always give thanks to God the Father. This is so important, okay? Because Paul isn't simply saying, hey, you need to be thankful, You need to have more gratitude. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is this. You have someone to be grateful for. And this is the difference between worldly gratitude and Christian gratitude, okay? Worldly gratitude simply states, hey, you should be more thankful. You have many things to be thankful for, which is great. But Christian gratitude goes even deeper. It recognizes all of the blessings. But then it's, and then Christian gratitude presses deeper and says, and you have a loving, forgiving, and amazing, giving God to whom to be thankful to. Think about it this way. As someone who does not believe in God, an atheist, can look at a beautiful sunrise and appreciate it, okay? Can appreciate it. But the Christian, we have the amazing opportunity for the follower of Jesus, the one who trusts in God, we have an amazing opportunity to see a beautiful sunrise, appreciate it, and then give thanks to the one who created it. That it is an amazing, awesome thing that we, get to be, that we get to be a part of. That not only do we have things to be grateful for, we have someone to be grateful to. We have someone to be grateful to. Paul goes on to say that we are to give thanks to God the Father for everything. And a legitimate question that we have is, for everything? You mean even for rape and murder and famine, disease and death? No, okay? No, that's, that's not what the text is saying. That's not what it means. Because remember that we give thanks to God for what God has done what God does, which is only good. It says that, well, the scriptures tell us in Psalm chapter 5, verse 4, that the God that we believe in, the God that we trust in, he takes no pleasure in wickedness and that no evil dwells with him. So God doesn't cause evil and suffering and pain. 
And therefore, we don't thank God for those things. But rather, what Paul is saying is that we give thanks to God in the midst of everything. In the midst of everything. Even in the midst of pain and suffering. But how do we do that? How do we give God thanks even in the midst of hurt and turmoil and challenge and pain? This is the key and this is the big idea. We give thanks to God for everything because of this last part of the verse which, which says this. We do it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the key. The scriptures tell us that the God, the creator God, created all things good and in harmony and in perfect peace. But when sin entered entered the world, death was introduced. And therefore, that is why there is pain. That is why there is suffering. And that is why there is hurt. And our God, the Christian God, when he looked into creation, looked into the world and saw the pain and suffering, he didn't shy away from it. He didn't push it away. What does he do? He sends his son, Jesus Christ, come into creation. And he enters into the pain and the suffering. He enters into the hurt. Have you guys ever thought about this? Jesus suffered emotional pain. His best friends, his disciples, all left him when he needed them most. When he was headed to the cross, where were his friends? They were gone. Imagine that. When you need your friends the most and they just leave. Imagine the pain that would cause Jesus suffered physical pain. He was flogged and whipped and beaten half to death. And then he was crucified, suffering a horrific death. He suffered physically. Jesus suffered relational pain. One of his closest friends, Judas Iscariot, betrayed him, backstabbed him for 30 pieces of silver. And also he suffered familial pain. Pain. Familial suffering. All of his family members thought he was crazy for the things that he was saying and doing, and all of them disassociated themselves from him. And it wasn't until he rose again that they believed. And so Jesus, the one that we trust in and love, the one that we call Lord and Master, he entered into our pain and suffering. He didn't simply say, too bad. He entered into it. And on the cross, he takes, when he was crucified, he crucified the power of sin and death. He crucified the power of suffering and pain. And, And he rose again on the third day in victory over Satan's sin and death. So that one day when he returns, he will make all things new. He will heal all that is broken. He will restore all that is unsettled. There will be no more pain and no more suffering. Revelation chapter 1 verse 4 says, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying. For the old order of things has passed away. That is our hope. That is our hope. And the, the reality is I, I don't know why there are some who, who are in pain and suffering while others aren't. But one thing I do know is that 
It cannot be because God doesn't care. It cannot be because God doesn't care. Because God cared so much that he sent his son to enter into our pain, to enter into our suffering, and to suffer on our behalf so that he can grant us righteousness and new life. This is the key, my friends, to living a grateful life in everything. When we have the blessings and we sense the goodness of God tangibly, we give thanks to God. But when things are hard, when things hurt, we can still give thanks to God because we believe in a God who entered into that suffering and one day will make all things new. If you are in a place of hurt and pain, I I really want to encourage you to read, um, memorize a lament psalm. You know, the the scriptures are so helpful because they allow us to tell the truth. Uh, One in particular that's really helpful is Psalm 13. I I really encourage you to to look at that, maybe later today or sometime this week. Um, Lament psalms are simply cries to God, complaints to God, and then it ends off thanking God because it recognizes the promises of God and believes it. So I really encourage you to do that. And also, um, want to please, if, if there's, and I'm saying this on behalf of the church, I hope that's okay, but if you are in a place of hurt and suffering, please let, let the church know. Um, we have connection cards. Uh, we, we, as the body of Christ, want to serve and love and pray for and come alongside all those who are in those places. Let's pray together. Gracious God, there is so much for us to be thankful for. You are such a gracious and good and loving God. You bless us in so many ways. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that. But also I know that there are times when it's hard And and it's hard to be thankful when things just seem, everything seems to be falling apart. God, help us to remember that you are a God who also experienced pain and suffering and that you overcome that by your powerful resurrection and that in hope and trust in you, you will help us to do the same. We pray this in Jesus' name.